A reading from St. John, the ninth chapter. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seen. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight, until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he see now? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. 
They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. Last week we heard Jesus say to those who came to receive bread from, that, from him, we heard Jesus say to them, I am the bread. I am the bread. The living bread that came down from heaven. And in saying that, he shows them a couple things. First of all, and most importantly, when he says, I am... He shows that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush, who said, my name is I Am. And he also showed them that they should work for a bread which does not perish. Not merely a bread to fill their bellies, but a bread that lasts to eternity. Tonight we heard the second of the I Am statements of Jesus that we're going to consider this Lent. It was kind of hidden in that long lesson. It came near the beginning. Verse 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. That statement of Jesus is couched in what really is a comedy. I don't know if you were tempted to laugh. I'm always tempted to laugh when I hear some of those lines like this blind fellow mocking the Pharisees. Oh, so you want to be his disciples too? Is that why you're asking me so many questions? I've already told you all this before. What's the deal? Are you so interested in Jesus? It's really a comedy. It's a comedy that has lots of different scenes, and I'd like to work through these scenes real quickly so you can see how this is set up and what it means for Jesus to be the light of the world. The story, the play, the drama, the comedy opens with Jesus passing by this blind man, and the disciples, as they so often are, inquire about the wrong thing. Is it the case that this man sinned, or his parents sinned, that he was born blind? This conversation between Jesus and the disciples sets up what is to come. Of course, it was not that his parents sinned or that he sinned that led to him being born blind, but he was born blind so that the works of God may be manifest in him. Last week in John chapter 6, we heard what the works of God are. What must we do to be doing the works of God? The people asked Jesus, and he said, this is the work of God, to believe in him and the one whom he sent. Why was this man born blind? that he might believe, and that those who witness his miracle healing might believe, and so that you might believe. Isn't that something? This fellow was born blind so that you might believe, so that the works of God might be manifest in him and so that you might believe. So Jesus does what he so often does, something very strange. He spits in the mud and makes some clay and puts it in the guy's eyes and says to him, go to the pool and wash. And what's amazing about this guy is that he just does it. He doesn't 
react that Jesus is putting his fingers in his eyes. He's not reacting that he just heard him spit and now there's a squishy, wet thing in his eyes. He just goes. He just goes. He believes that this man who is before him, who we discover is the light of the world, this man is there to save him. That's the opening scene, and it is like a bright flash of light in a dark world. It's like if you walked into a room in the middle of the night and you flipped on the lights for half a second and you flipped them off again. Everything for a moment would be illuminated. And this fellow, he is one who caught, who paid attention to what he could see in that otherwise dark room. Now his eyes are opened. He knows everything he needs to know. Whoever Jesus is, he is somebody to be trusted. He is somebody to be followed. But the next scene shows us what it's like for everybody else who is in that dark room. They're like a bunch of mice scattering when the lights come on, trying to find their way back to their hole where they can hide in the darkness. There's all this confusion. There's all this confusion. The neighbors. Who is this guy? Is this guy? Is this the same guy who used to sit out there and beg who was born blind? He looks like somebody different. Maybe he's a different guy. All kinds of confusion. They're trying to find their way back into the darkness trying to make sense of this world that was illuminated for a moment and trying to get back to the way things were. Something must have gone wrong. There's some confusion here. We don't really know what happened. Maybe he's not even the same guy. Maybe he's lying to us about what happened. The next scene introduces the Pharisees, and they are far more sinister than the neighbors and friends of this fellow who are just confused. The Pharisees have already made up their minds. They've made up their minds about Jesus, and so they are insistent That whatever that was, that moment, it was not light. When this fellow received his sight and we all were afraid for a second, it wasn't light. Whatever it was, it wasn't light. It's no good. And we know it's not good, they say, because this man heals on the Sabbath. He's breaking our laws. He's breaking our traditions. He can't possibly be from God. That, of course, is all you need to know about the Pharisees. They value their own traditions more than they value the things of God that they see Jesus who is doing good on the Sabbath, who is making alive, who is healing and making well on the Sabbath, and they see in him nothing but evil. How could they see that? They are utterly deceived. They love, they love the darkness. They love the darkness because it is a cover for their sin. Their hypocrisy has been revealed for all the world to see. What are they concerned about? They're concerned only about maintaining their traditions. They aren't really concerned about love or goodness or righteousness. The darkness is a cover for sin. And so they prefer the darkness. There's more confusion in the next scene, scene number four, which brings the parents into the view. Into view. They, of all people, should be charitable. They, of all people, should be very glad that their son has been healed, and yet you hear how wary they are. Go ask, go ask him what happened. We're not going to go out on a ledge here and say something about Jesus because there were threats. If you confess Jesus, you're going to be put out of the synagogue. Your life is over if you confess him. They're confused. They're unsure. They're afraid. There's lots of fear that comes when the light is turned on and everything is seen for what it is in a moment. There's a lot of fear that life might have to change, that things will not be as they once were, that we might have to change. And in fact, so it is. They're going to have to throw in the hat with somebody. They're going to have to pick a side. They're going to have to choose someone to follow. Who will it be? The fifth scene brings some more drama. The Pharisees are insistent now. Give glory to God. 
they say to that man. We know that whoever healed you, he must be a sinner. Whoever he is, he must be a sinner. And they start to make fun of, they revile this fellow. But he, because he believes, returns their reviling. He ridicules them, makes a joke out of them. What's, the, what's your deal? You're also concerned about this little flash of light. You're concerned about something good that happened. You're concerned about somebody who is showing love and kindness on the Sabbath. You must be fools. You must be out of your minds. He makes a joke out of it because they, in fact, cannot hurt him. As much as his parents were afraid that the Pharisees and the Jews would hurt them by sending him out of the synagogue, this fellow knows nothing can hurt him. He has found the one who can protect him from all danger, the one who made him see, he who was blind from birth. He has found that person. Nothing can hurt him. He has nothing to be afraid of. Least of all, these people who choose to remain in the dark once they have seen the light. And so he turns it into a big joke, which is, by the way, exactly how you should act when the world mocks you, when the world ridicules you, when the devil ridicules you for following Jesus, for clinging to Jesus. Just make fun of them. They can't hurt you. They can't hurt you because you have seen the light. And they are trying to remain in the darkness. And one thing we know from the very beginning of John, one thing we know is that the light overcomes the darkness. The light came into the world and the darkness did not like it, did not love it. The darkness hated it, but the darkness has not overcome the light. The light will win out in the end. And so, if you have seen the light, nothing can hurt you. The comedy ends with this closing scene, which finally brings Jesus back into the picture. There he was for a moment at the beginning, a flash of light, and he healed this fellow, and then he was gone. This guy was kind of on his own, but not really because he believed. And he was able to withstand the ridicule and the pressure. And now Jesus is here, and he asks him a question. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And what a faithful response this fellow gives. I don't know who that is, but if you tell me to believe in him, I will. Because you have done this good deed to me, because you have given me my sight, I who have never seen before. You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. This fellow, just think of that, this fellow who was blind from birth has opened his eyes, and who does he see but the light of the world? Standing before him, showing him mercy, giving him all kinds of kindness and love, what he sees standing before him is none other than the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Jesus says he has come for judgment because when the light comes, there is really a choice that must be made. It is either to remain in the darkness or to remain with the light. This fellow makes the faithful choice. He falls down and worships Jesus. Where else would he go? Where else could he go? Why would he want to return to darkness and blindness and misery and sin? But those Pharisees, those Pharisees, they remain in the darkness. They want to remain in the darkness because it hides their works of evil. That is why the darkness hates the light, because its works are evil and does not want its works to be exposed. For those who are accustomed to the darkness, the light is miserable. It is unwelcome. It reminds me of a story that we've read a few times at home. about. It's called The Princess and the Goblin. And it's about a princess who gets uh, involved with some goblins who live under a mountain. And these goblins moved under the mountain. Bear with me. There's a point here. They moved under the mountain to get away from the king. They didn't want to pay taxes. But of course, under the mountain, there's no light. There's no light under the mountain. And so they become misshapen. 
They become misshapen and kind of embarrassingly misshapen. And so now, so long as they've been living under the mountain, they are ashamed of how they look. They don't want to go up into the land where the sun people live. It's too bright up there, they say, for our refined sensibilities, our refined sensibilities. They think that their misshapenness is what is to be prized and treasured, not recognizing that it's because they're in the dark that they have become misshapen. And that if they came into the light, yes, their misshapenness would be exposed, but they would also be brought back into goodness and truth and love. That is what Jesus means when he says that he has come for judgment, and that is what light does. For when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, what he means is that he is righteousness and salvation. He is righteousness and salvation which shine into the world, and of course, righteousness shining into the world illuminates all of our wickedness, our misshapenness. It brings it to light, and it is painful, embarrassing, and shameful, and it is terrifying. It is terrifying if you know to whom you must give an account for your misshapenness, for your sin and your wickedness. But his light is not just righteousness. It is righteousness and salvation. For he calls those who are in darkness into the light so that he can make them children of light. So that he can reshape them into his image. So he can bring them back into their proper form. That is what it means for Jesus to be the light of the world. And that is why his light is judgment. Because either you choose to remain in the darkness or you come into the light. Having seen the light, you remain in the light. And know this for sure, the darkness will not overcome the light. The light has come into the world and it is growing and increasing day by day as we await the coming of God's kingdom. The darkness will not prevail till finally on that last day, as John says in Revelation, heaven is like a bright shining kingdom where there is no need for a sun because God himself is its light. Where there is no room for wickedness and evil because everything is exposed and everything is goodness and righteousness. That is where we are headed. The darkness will not overcome the light. And so, having seen the light, having heard Jesus' righteousness and seen his salvation on the cross, remain with him. Be like this poor blind fellow whose sight has been given to him. Open your eyes and see the light of the world. Do not be afraid. Don't be confused. Don't scatter into the darkness. Remain with him. Walk as children of light. Walk as children of light, for that is who you are. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen. Amen.